To another Hoopstradamus podcast, I am joined by my good friend Gabriel Wilkins. Gabriel, how you doing today? Doing good, Josh. Can't complain. Beautiful Labor Day weekend. You know, life is good. How you been? I've been doing good. Uh, covered the Bucks game last night for ESPN, and I, I think we can delve right into that. That was, as everybody knows, I believe it was one fifteen one hundred Miami last night. And I was there and I witnessed a team that is clearly playing at a different level since they've gotten into the bubble. And this has just been, this has carried over into the playoffs. And Miami has just turned it on against Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has not been able to respond. And I just want to get your input first, Gabriel, because I'll have plenty to say. But I want to hear what you have to say first and what you saw. Well, you know, this is what Jimmy Butler meant when he said he was on a business trip. You know, he's been playing in straight-up attack mode, getting to his sweet spot. But what I've been disappointed with and seeing throughout this series, and the key is Duncan, um, great insider on Twitter and a writer, he pointed this out through various film studies earlier this morning. They refuse to duck the pick-and-roll on this man when he has shown an inability to shoot the three-point shot at a high clip. And instead of forcing him to do that, which is what Milwaukee likes to do, they like to take away that paint and force you to knock down three-point shots. And when it comes to Jimmy, they have not done that. And as a byproduct of that, what's happened is you see him getting to the hole, getting to the foul line, and outscoring the Bucks in the most important quarter of all playoffs which is the fourth quarter. You know, he, he's risen to the occasion, and the other players have stepped up as well. Like I said, Milwaukee likes to give up three, but their defense has been a step slower throughout this series. Their offense, which has been known for creating passing lanes via cutting and so forth, has been stagnant, and that's been a major problem. And you tie all of that in, with Giannis out there being hurt, granted no excuses because if you play, you know, you, you can't make excuses this time of year. You have to show up. But when you factor all of that in, this, for them to get swept, this, this will be a tough way to go, go out, especially for a guy who many people are expecting to win back-to-back MVPs and it only be a matter of days before he does. Yeah, I mean, what I saw last night was a team that you, I, I, that's a team that didn't make any adjustments. I mean, what I thought was inexcusable was Wes Matthews has been has been next to Giannis, who did a I thought he did a decent job on Jimmy, even though Jimmy was able to get to the bucket. Wes Matthews has been your best defender on Jimmy Butler. He didn't play. He played three minutes in the fourth quarter last night. There is no excuse under any circumstances for Mike Budenholzer to not be playing him at the entire fourth quarter guarding Jimmy Butler. Jimmy was going off, and you had Giannis on a bad ankle guarding him. I mean, it was ridiculous. He made no adjustments whatsoever. The pick and roll wasn't working, and granted, I give Miami all the credit in the world from clogging the driving lanes for Giannis and not giving him easy um, drives to the bucket, but Giannis was starting to get to the rim, 
towards the end of that game, in the late in the third quarter. They were getting dunks because Miami was getting tired, and it really did seem like they were going to be able to get there. But once Miami started to really push them and got on that run and cut the lead to one, I mean, they folded like like it was a fucking Jenga stack. It was ridiculous. I could not believe what I was seeing. And not to mention, I think the main reason they were not – they were keying on Jimmy and letting him get to the buckets because he actually has been shooting over 50% from three in the playoffs. Granted, he's not shooting as many threes. He was two – he hit two – he hit one three fading to his left, fading away off balance and hit the three. And when I saw that, I thought, there is no way they're losing this series. Just the way this team is playing – the energy that they, I can see. And what I saw on the floor was a completely deject, dejected Bucks team. They looked defeated even when, when Miami started coming back. They did not look like a team that was going to respond. So when I saw that, I thought, there's no way they're going to come back in this game. In fact, the Heat set an NBA record last night for the largest point differential in a quarter in playoff history. Which astounded me, but also didn't really surprise me. Not to mention the Bucks scored one point in the last four minutes of that game. One point. Which... Which is just horrific as it is. But I really think that Budenholzer might get fired for what he did for this game. I mean, you can make an argument. He may not deserve his job after what he did. I mean, he's done a hor- I give all the credit in the world to Coach Spolstra, but Budenholzer has made a lot of fireable decisions in this series. And you have to give the credit to Coach Spolstra. Because during the time of the year, it's all about making adjustments. And I'm glad you brought up Coach Bud and his inability to do that late down the stretch last night. When you're down two games to none, and you know falling in the 3 0 that no team in NBA history has ever come back from that depth, you cannot afford to limit Giannis Antetokounmpo's minutes on the floor. I don't give a damn how bad he's hurt. If he's out there in uniform and he's telling you, Coach, I'm ready to play, you have to put him out there. You have to keep him out there. They had the momentum going into the fourth quarter. They were up by 14, and they were up by as many as 12 at one point in the fourth quarter. Okay? Miami, they go on the run. The first thing you do as a coach is call time out in that situation, and you get your best player on the floor. I agree. To have Wes Matthews out there, he did do a great job defending Giannis last night. But to play only just three minutes, that is an excuse, especially when your best player is hurt. And you know he's been the guy that's played the best defense on Jimmy throughout this series. Spoon is on the verge of doing something that I, I have never seen a coach do in the playoffs. And that's possibly getting two head coaches fired because he's exposing their inability to make adjustments down the stretch late in game. And in the playoffs, like I say, it's all about matchup. And Miami was a team that had given Milwaukee problems all year long. Bam is negating that paint from Giannis. But like you said, he was able to get in there last night. But, man, I, I'm just I'm impressed with, with what Miami's been able to do. If I'm Milwaukee, I understand that Jimmy shoots 50% from deep. But you still want him to shoot the three ball. You, you, you want him to – you want to force him – and play the option. If he hits that, you tip your cap. But for him to get to the rim like he did relentlessly in that fourth quarter, what it shows me is that Miami has a lot of fight. And that Milwaukee got their heart took it from. 
how they're going to respond remains to be seen. But right now, it's looking like a done deal. And, and Milwaukee has a lot of decisions that they need to evaluate as a front office and the ownership group over the next several months that could be very um, large and looming towards whether or not Giannis decides to stay there down the road. Uh, you know, I've and I want. I know you've talked about it. You think he's going to leave, and honestly, I think so too. Because I talked to people in Milwaukee, and they really think he's going to stay. There's no incentive for him to stay if he if he doesn't care about chasing rings, then you stay. But you know, he's got a base there. His fa- his brothers go to high school there. He's got a good thing there. But if he wants to chase rings, then there's no way he's going to stay. And at that point, if I'm Milwaukee, you have to start thinking. Am I going to think about trading this guy in the offseason? And I think that that's something that needs to be explored. And I've been thinking that they also don't have – they cannot have Giannis as their number one ball ball handler. He does not – he's a great ball handler. He's not the best passer. And it's very easy – a team like Miami is exposing the fact that you have a seven-footer dribbling the ball. It's easy to get your hand in there if you swipe at it and, turn, and force him to turn the ball over. He's a driving. He's an he's a guy who attacks the rim, and they've shown you get in front of him. It's easy to force him to, um, to force him to take threes to be able to get going. And when his drive lanes are cut off, he's limited as a player. Now, granted, he had a very good game last night. Other than that, sixteen rebounds, one assist shy of a triple double. But he didn't have an assist the rest of the fourth quarter after he passed the ball to Dante with like 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And what I see is a team that, unless, to me, I think CP3s that would be a great fit for them because he can be that guy who can take over the primary ball handling abilities for a guy like Giannis, and then he can be the primary pick and roll guy. But guys like Eric Bledsoe, I thought they made a mistake keeping Bledsoe and not keeping Malcolm Brogdon. And I just think that right now we are seeing the fact that they didn't keep him, the fact that they don't have very big wings. They don't have a lot of wing depth. Dante and Pat Connaughton are not big wings, and that's not going to help you. When you those guys are 6'5", you know, that's not going to help you. You need guys 6'7", 6'8", who can really play. Miami's got Derek Jones Jr., Jay Crowder, a big pickup. They've got Jimmy. And then on top of that, you've also got um, Andre Iguodala. Also to be in there. And not only that, the fact that Kendrick Nunn has been a complete non-factor, he's, and, the, and they've still been, who is going to probably win, who's arguably going to be Rookie of the Year, but it's not going to be, which John Morant did win, but you could have made an easy case for, Derek, for Kendrick Nunn. Played 12 minutes, scored two points, and they're still argue, and you could argue they're still the best team in the Eastern Conference right now, and one of their best scorers is not even playing which is the biggest credit to Eric Spolstra and the credit to the fact that Jay Crowder was such a big pickup and he's had an amazing series. And, and not only was Kendrick Nunn off, but if you look at the first three games and you look at the numbers, if I'm not mistaken, Duncan Robinson shoot like 7 for 29 from three-point range. He was 2 for 8 last night. Right, and we talk about a guy that's shot like four, close to 40% or over 40% from three-point range. This past season, he's going to get a lot of money, you know, down the road. And he's been struggling. If he gets hot, you know, in game four, but Shelly go to five, if the Milwaukee win, look out. It, it's a done deal. And the points that you bring up about Milwaukee, like I, I don't think Milwaukee succeeds to trade Giannis. 
Usher better get another guard in that rotation that's capable of creating his own shot and taking some pressure off of Giannis, who, you know, for lack of a better term, he's really getting exposed this year. He's getting exposed. His, His poor footwork is getting exposed. And he has to find a way. If he doesn't add a three-point shot, to at least add a back-of-down post-up game with at least three to four counter moves inside with a 10 to 15-foot jump shot where he's able to take advantage of smaller wings inside. Because if he doesn't, he's going to have to go to a place where he has a pick-and-roll guard that can take that pressure off of him and create his own shot. And Milwaukee's missing Brogdon right now. I'm glad you brought him up as well because he was a big part of their team's success last year as a pick and roll ball handler. And the fact that they lost him, that he 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 was very valuable for them. And you know, I've been think I honestly think that Giannis is best served as a guy who's going to be attacking the rim. Kind, almost like in a Rudy Gobert sense, and except he can handle the ball and he can and he can create his own shot when he needs to. And I've been thinking that if you're gonna look at a play, Golden State's the best choice for him to go, because you got Steph Curry to be able to do that. I mean, if you're gonna look into a place like that, now granted they have Andrew Wiggins there, you can go to a place like Toronto, you can go to a place like Miami, but I don't know where he fits in Miami because they got Bam in the middle, so I don't know if that would work necessarily. And they got too much paper. Yeah, exactly. Dallas. I like where your head's at. That's a good idea. I love that idea. His agent was at a game in Dallas this year, and that typically doesn't happen. But we'll see. That's down the road. And that's why I think the Bucks, if they if they can get swept and go out the way they appear to be going out right now, the puncher to win next year is at an all-time high. The media coverage of that team continues to grow, and the countless speculation surrounding Giannis's free agency is going to be in his ear, left and right, wherever he turns, in addition to his teammates. And when you put that pressure on a type of team, either one or two things happen. You find a way to come together and, and formulate success, or... And honestly, they crumbled. They had the pressure on them this this series, and they crumbled. They completely crumbled. And you know, I I feel like they had their chance. This was either last year or this year was their chance. They lost both times, and they're about to lose this time. And I think, you know, I don't really know what you do. And I was listening to Bucks fans, and I listened to Coach Budenholzer after the game. His post game press conference was absolutely horrible. He was he, you just throw your hands up. I was if I was a reporter, I'd be like, Coach, what the hell are you talking about? You just got your ass kicked. You're you he was still making excuses after the game. He's like, he said he thought he said coach they said, Coach, uh, do you think playing um you should have played Middleton or Giannis thirty five or th- more than thirty five, thirty six minutes? He said, No. He said, No, I I thought they played enough. And that was all I needed to know about where Coach Boonholder's head at. He's he's a great coach, but what? I, but what? Um, 
But what I see is a guy who, you know, I saw it when he coached the series against Cleveland when he played LeBron in that Easter Conference Finals. They had a chance. They could have they could have maybe taken him to five, six games. I don't think they would have beaten him. But in that series, he didn't make any adjustments there either. And they got swept there easily. So I think at this point, if they don't show up next year, there's no way Mike Budenholz was keeping his job. He might not keep it after this season, after this series either. Well, I, I think he had earned the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't be shocked because in this day and age, anything can happen. But he's had a successful first two years in Milwaukee. Now, I understand he has a philosophy of not putting too many minutes on his main guys. But like I said earlier in, in this conversation with you, you're down 2-0. Can't fall in a three-zero hole. There's no excuses this time of year. You have to play your guy, you, you, especially when you're up by double digits in a big-time game with major implications and your season on the line. You, you have to play your guys. And now, it, it, like it doesn't even matter what he said last night. If he doesn't play Giannis over 40 minutes next game, you're going home. If you don't play Chris Middleton over 40 minutes next game. You're going home. It's really that simple. From here on out, you got to play your guy. And, you know, I agree with you. And though, and Giannis was playing very well, despite the ankle. And I think that that was a, a testament to just how much he wanted to win that game. But I want to move on because I want to talk about a guy who really showed that he wanted to win. And this is the team you have been covering for a long time, Gabriel. The Houston Rockets win 112-97. And... I got to say, I saw a team that this is going to be a tough series for the Lakers. They can play at the Lakers' tempo. I've seen it. They didn't have to shoot 53s to win. And it's been really interesting to see James Harden came out and even Russell Westbrook came out. and They want to beat the Lakers so bad because they want to shut everybody up. They're sick of it. And I know you've been talking about that too, how sick and tired they are. And after Russ hit that three over Anthony Davis, I was... I love how he, he was talking smack to people in the crowd, the families of the crowd. He didn't care who was in the crowd. Just screaming obscenities at everybody. But it's that's his competitive nature, and that's one of the things I love about Russ. But tell me what you saw in that game. Because what I saw is a team that can play at the Lakers' pace if they want to and still win the games because they and has the post-defense to slow them down. Yeah. 
by example in a way that I've never seen him lead. And that says a lot because each year he's expanded on a various facet of his game prior to getting to the playoffs. A couple years ago it was the float. Last year it was the post defense. This year he's gotten his body into shape, he's well-rounded, and not only is he seeking to be a great post defender, but he's also seeking to take on the challenge of guarding guys one-on-one if he has to by himself on an island. And the narrative that surrounds his defense, I'm just going to be real. He's tired of that shit. And he's playing that way. Covington's playing that way. Tucker's playing that way. Eric Gordon, the guy who's been an underrated defender for most of his career, and a lot of people don't give him credit for it. He did an excellent job, I think, last night on LeBron James getting into his airspace. This is a team that has something to prove. And when you come off of an emotional series like they did against Oklahoma City where you had the pressure on you to win against a former foe for both Harden and Westbrook being former OKC guys and also Harden being a teammate of Chris Paul, this is something that can catapult a team to do some amazing things. And I think that's what we saw last night. You know, and what I've been noticing definitely is James Harden. His footwork on defense has been absolutely fantastic because he was getting absolutely crushed inside the NBA. They would crush him for his lack of defensive intensity. I mean, he would just let guys drive to the rim. And it was disappointing for me to see because I, because seeing James Harden as one of the best scorers that I've ever seen, when I see a guy not giving that effort on defense, that pisses me off. Because I want to see him giving that effort because I know a great player like that has the ability to get better like on that on the defensive end. Because sometimes LeBron will do that. He'll take plays off on defense. But we know LeBron can play defense. I saw that in 2011 when he guarded Derrick Rose. He didn't give him a moment to breathe. And Derrick shot under 40% in that series. And so we know what LeBron can do. But the thing that I think is clearly getting exposed is the fact that the Lakers cannot shoot the three to save their freaking life. They can't. They have no consistent shooting whatsoever. And I thought that was going to be their biggest weakness going into the season. I thought, well, they've got their Scotty and they've got their Mike, so who gives a shit? But no. You can't do that if you don't... Scotty and Mike had a lot of three-point shooters to back them up. That's what helped them. They had a Joe Butcher. They had a Steve Kerr. They had a Tony Kukoc. Guys could knock... They had a Scott Burrell. They had guys who could knock down the shot and they could trust in those moments. Scotty could hit the three if they needed him to. Right now, you're the guy you need to step up is, is Danny Green... And Danny Green has been colder than the Arctic for the since he got back, since he's been in the bubble. And when one of your most reliable players is not doing his job, that's going to give you problems. Not to mention Rajon Rondo just came back from that injury and played 25 minutes. Granted, I get it; he's a great player, has a ton of experience, but he was a minus 10 last night. Kyle Kuzma was a minus 21, and if Kuzma's not producing for them, that leaves LeBron and AD, who had only who had 45 points between the two of them. Granted, that's very solid, but that's not going to get... 45 points from both those guys is not going to be enough, especially when no one else is producing. Absolutely. And not only is 45 points not going to be enough, but zero points in the fourth quarter isn't going to be enough. You're LeBron James, you have to be better. I didn't even realize they didn't have any in the fourth. He didn't, score, he didn't score in the fourth quarter last night. P.J. Tucker's defense on him in that second half was impressive. Not fight for the pump fake, force him to take contested three-point shot. Um, left and right, and Anthony Davis is a guy that's going to have to step up as well, and, and this is what I was saying a couple weeks ago about the Lakers. I think their their top two players are 
the top five players in the league. However, for the first time in LeBron James' career, we're going to have to see him lead a team as the leading playmaker without another guard who is capable of playing on the ball and creating a shot out of either the pick and roll set or isolation. And that puts a lot of pressure on LeBron James to step up and lead the Lakers to a championship. And I think one thing that showed last night, and I say this again, I've said it before and I said it again, was the loss of Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley was a guy who was a tremendous on-ball defender for them, a guy who I know for a fact they would have sought to throw on a Westbrook or Harden interchangeably. They don't have that piece anymore. And Rondo getting 25 minutes in his first game since March, I, if I'm Frank Vogel, I have to find a way to do better with my rotation so LeBron and AD both can have the spacing in which they need to not only create for themselves, but to facilitate for others. You know, and... I expect this to be a very competitive series. I, You know, if I know LeBron James, my thought has always been, until you knock the king off of his throne, you he's still the king, and I still fully expect him to be able to do it. But looking at the, te- the supporting cast that he has right now, one thing definitely is clear. Compared to the Eastern Conference, LeBron, if LeBron had this team in the Eastern Conference, I think now it's a little bit different because the Eastern Conference compared to when he was there, is vastly superior now. And I don't think he would just be able to cakewalk through it like he used to. But with a supporting cast like this, let's say two years ago, he probably could still go to the finals. But now we're seeing he's in the Western Conference. He's playing much higher quality competition. And we all said if he's able to find a way to get to the West, He's clearly above and beyond what he's right there with Michael, and I feel like he's right there. Talent-wise, I always thought he was just as good, if not better, than Michael. I always thought he was, just because bigger, stronger. He's got the ability to play one through four, even one through five if you really want to. Better rebounder, and he's got the he's a he's shown as the point guard he can lead the league in assists too, and still give you thirty points on the daily basis. We've seen we saw Michael do that, but we only saw him do it for twelve games. You know, when it comes to the Lakers, I was very questionable about this team going into the season because I thought they have no shooting whatsoever. And in the regular season, you can get by with Anthony Davis and LeBron James leading the way in nightly basis. LeBron can take nights off and AD can drop 40 if he wants to because it's the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs and you have a team like Houston who has, as you said, been battle-tested and has guys who want to win as bad as Westbrook and Harden do, and on top of that, has Eric Gordon, who is one of the most unsung players in the league. P.J. Tucker, one of the most underrated players in this league, one of the best role players in this league. Robert Covington also, I believe, I saw as the first player to have like 20 steals and 10 blocks and I think his first 10 games of the playoffs since Ben Wallace. So when I'm seeing numbers like that and I'm seeing guys being able to do that, it's showing me that while everyone made fun of Houston... For making that deal for Clint Capella, which I thought, honestly, at the time, I thought, well, okay, this might not work. But when I saw them come out and play the Lakers in that first game after they made the trade, I thought, 
They match up way better against the Lakers than they did before. And now I'm really starting to think they have a legit chance to win this series. See, that's what it's all about this time. I mean, it's all about matchups. And every matchup in the playoffs is different. One thing that the Rockets have struggled with all year long is going up against smaller guards. Oklahoma City had small guards who were capable of creating their own shots off the dribble as well as creating catch-and-shoot opportunities for the likes of Luke Dort and Danilo Gallinari. And now, in this series, Harden doesn't have to deal with that. Westbrook doesn't have to deal with that. Luke Dort, as everybody was saying last night on Twitter, does not play for the Los Angeles Lakers. With that being said, they have a chance. But you also have to realize as well that the Lakers are going to do what is necessary to make adjustments. Bron is going to do what's necessary to make adjustments. If they cut the turnovers down, which they had 15 last night that led to 27 Houston points. They cut those turnovers down, and they're able to convert shots and get better offensive spaces. This could be a tied series. However, it's going to come down to the stars and who shows up and who takes over games with the money on the line. But I do expect it to be a very fun, exciting series. You have two different teams with um, contrasting styles of play. One wants to beat you playing small, another one wants to beat you playing big. We're going to see which one wins out. Yeah, and, you know, for me, I think one of the keys is going to be the Lakers' ability to get offensive rebounds and make those second-chance points. I think that's going to be a huge key because they had 10 offensive rebounds last night, and I think what that's going to have to be the key because they shot 29%. We've seen them – if they can shoot 33 to 35% from deep – that's going to be enough, I think, to win them a game. But when you're shooting under 30%, that takes a lot out of it. And so I think the Lakers, because LeBron James is that guy who he, he's in playoff mode. And I can see that. Far and away, he's in playoff mode. And playoff LeBron is a different animal in and of itself. But we know he can do it. We know he's capable of making adjustments. We know that the Lakers are going to make adjustments. We know LeBron's going to make sure that they make those adjustments. So while I think Rockets fans can be very happy with what's going on, I expect the Lakers to come out and win game two, and I think this is going to be – I expect this to be a six or seven-game series. I do not expect the Lakers to just go all of a sudden win four in a row because I think the Rockets are going to come out and really make this a very tough series for the Lakers. And one thing to keep an eye on, too, in this series is the, the rebounding numbers. Like you said, yeah, Lakers had 10 offensive rebounds, and that is impressive. But when you're the Lakers and you're playing, you're big, and the rebounding margin total is even, I believe it was 40-40. So it was a tie last night. It was 53. That's not what you want. It was 50. That's not what you want if you're LA. No, it was, I believe it was... 40, yeah, it was 41-41. That was the rebound. 41-41, yeah. So, like, 41-41, it, it was easy. If you're Houston, you will live with that. And one thing I'll say, yeah, I know that Rockets fans are riding high. However, James Harden said it best last night in the press conference. They're going to have to be more focused, more locked in game two, not only on the defensive end, but also hitting shots. They didn't even really shoot the ball all that well from three-point range. But because they set the tone by attacking the rim, I agree. I'm really excited to see this series. And tonight we got also two great games. We got game four between the Celtics and the Raptors. 
And we got game two of the Clippers and the Nuggets. And right now, I've got the Clippers going to the conference finals. And I've got Boston. I had Toronto winning the series. But honestly, I'm starting to lean more towards those Celtics. I think this team is also at a almost at a level that Miami's playing at. This team, and I said Marcus Smart was going to be the key in this series and has really stepped up. And if it wasn't for a three-pointer at the buzzer, they're up 3-0 right now. You know, and, that's what it comes down to this time of year. And also one thing that's been clear as day is Pascal Siakam is also getting exposed in this series. I thought he would start getting exposed in the playoffs. He's 2 for 11 from 3, and he's a very nice player. But he's not the guy who's going to get you a bucket. He does not possess great playmaking ability, that ability to create his own shot. But we also knew that. He's just had to step into that role. If anybody's going to create his own shot, it's going to be probably Fred Van Fleet. But even he's struggling in this series because Marcus Smart has been the primary defender on him. He's been basically shut down. He's shooting under 40% compared to last series where I believe he shot 58% from three, which is insane. But now he's shooting 27.8. Kyle Lowry's shooting 15% from three. They're shooting 28% from three as a team. And I look at this Celtics team and everybody's playing their role perfectly. Kemba Walker's been that that guy, that second option for him. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were kind of forming their own kind of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George kind of thing themselves. Granted, not as, as strong, I feel like, in terms of superstar level, but Jason Tatum's getting to that superstar status. I think he's already there. And I think Jalen Brown's just a step below in terms of a superstar status. He's an all-star caliber player. And we are really seeing his ability. I mean, we've already known that Jason Tatum can step up, but I feel like Jalen Brown this season has really taken that next step as well and showing that he can be one of the premier two-way players in this league and help the Celtics get to another finals. Brown should have, in my opinion, been in the running for most improved player award. Mm-hmm. To come from where he came from being a guy that didn't have the ability to really knock down a three-point shot consistently, becoming a guy that's shooting over 34% from beyond the arc on the regular season and stepping it up in the playoffs, I give him credit. And also Marcus Smart as well, who was huge in that game too, hitting a lot of catch and shoot three to help the Celtics rally back from behind double digits in that fourth quarter. That's really left a significant imprint on this series through the first three games. You know, and that was my key to this series, was if Marcus Smart was able to knock down his shots, I thought the Celtics were going to win the series. And through those first two games, he proved it. And granted, he didn't have a great game three, but his ability to really improve his three-point shot has been huge because it is such a necessity for your guys to be able to knock down those shots. You know, the one thing 
that I think could become an issue is after you get past that lineup, you know, they, they have a nice rotation there, but are their wings going to be quality enough that they're going to be able, let's say they do play Miami, are they going to be able to stay with the, those guys on Miami? Are they going to be able to match up with them wing for wing? I'm not sure because the quality of the wings on Miami, I feel like, granted, they have two, the, this, I think they have the first, the best player in that series, and third in Jalen Brown. You could argue Bam would be third or fourth in that series. I'm just not sure how that would match up if they played Miami because both teams have some nice wings, but Miami has vastly superior wing depth, which could be a big problem. I think they can match up with them well, but, but I think the biggest question would be you know, looking forward down the road to the Eastern Conference Finals Series should those two teams meet is can the Celtics do this consistently? When Boston's hitting shots, they, they've always been a hard team to beat over the years. This when Boston is struggling when, is when the game starts to change. And these guys, Brown, Tatum, they got a lot of experience under their belt. They played in conference finals in seasons past against the Kings when he was ruling over the East. Now they don't have to worry about that anymore. And we're going to really see just how tough and, and, and strong these guys are and whether or not they legitimately the real deal. I agree. So who you got tonight, Gabriel? We'll close it out with that. We'll give our predictions. Uh, tonight, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the Celtics. I, I just think they, they got too much firepower for Toronto right now. I think it'll be a close one, although I believe in the end, Kimball Walker will continue to be the star among stars and make some big-time big plays in the fourth quarter, as he's proven to through the first three games in the series. And I think in the night cap between Denver and Los Angeles, I just think the Clippers have too much firepower. I think Denver's defense is outmatched. And if Jokic isn't going to you know, get his foot speed up anytime soon. They're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so I, I'm going to go with the Clippers to, to win in the nightcap. You know, it's interesting you bring up Jokic because I've been thinking about this. You know, you know, Adam loves Nikola Jokic. But the thing for me is, and I think you would probably agree with this too, your center can't be your best player anymore if you want to win a championship. The only, I mean, Anthony Davis, you could, LeBron James is the best player on the Lakers. And Anthony Davis is a very close second, I would say. He's very close, but I still put LeBron ahead of him. Your best player can't be your center anymore, and you win the title. Your center cannot be your number one option. It's just not, that's just not the way the game is anymore. Your center can't be your number one option. However, your center also has to know in today's time how to be a viable defender in pick and roll situations and scenarios. There have been too many times I've watched him over the last several years. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Nicole Jokic myself. But defensively, I've seen C.J. McCollum, Chris Paul, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, Donovan Mitchell, time and time and time again, hunt this man down to come out on the perimeter. And when he does, he shows up to no event. His foot speed is slow, and that's in spite of losing weight and getting himself in the shape in which he needs to to run up and down the court. He's a gifted player. He's a tremendous talent. I would take nothing away from you. He's a top five center in the game. He's a he's an incredible passer, and he can stretch the floor out with his ability to shoot, and he has a back-up-down, old-school, 90-level post game. But if you're not playing defense in this era as a big, 
unplayable late down the stretch in game. And Jokic, during these playoffs, has really gotten exposed for fans who don't typically get a chance to watch these games on a night-to-night basis on NBA League. And, you know, we've seen that. With a lot of guys, we've seen it with Porzingis. We saw it with Kevin Love when they played Golden State. Time and time again, if you don't have the footwork, but I also think it's because these guys are so much bigger, and they are big men, who are not expected to have, you know, this crazy left-to-right footwork, this, you know, the latter, you know, the ability to get right to left and the ability to move your feet the way normally a garden wing would, and I think that's the problem. Even We see Embiid have issues with it. I mean, effort is a problem too. Did you, did you see the clip where Draymond was pointing out how he was coming up the floor just jogging the other night on Inside the NBA? Yeah. It, it's, a, it's some legitimate truth to that. Like his effort. Sometimes, like, if you're going to protect the rim, you got to see him. He's not doing it. He's just not doing it. And if I'm Mike Malone or I'm an assistant on Denver's coaching staff, I have to pull that guy to the side and say, young fella, you got to be better. If we're going to win a championship, you have to be better. Jamal Murray has done a hell of a job. However, he's going to need some help as well because he got two pit bulls on him, and Pat Bell and Paul George, and they can put a third on him if they want with Kawhi on any given night. So I just think that this is a bad matchup for them. They could get away with some sins against Utah's defense, that they cannot get away with against the Clippers. I completely agree with you. I, I'm looking forward to this series, and also I expected the I didn't expect the the Nuggets to be able to come out and compete because they just don't have outside of Jokic and Murray, they just don't have any real ability to knock down the shot. No one else could create him. Michael Porter Jr. is a very nice player, but it's his first year. I'm not expecting Michael Porter Jr. to come out all of a sudden and start hitting 25, 30 points a game. I mean, if you get 15 to 20, that's great, but there's a ceiling there right now. And he's just getting back, and we see the flashes, but he's not all there yet. And they don't have anybody outside there. They're also missing Gary Harris and Will Barton. Horribly, they're missing them. Really badly. And I think, and I think if they did have those guys, it would be a different series. But you don't have those guys, and for them, and right now they're getting exposed for really only having two guys who can put it up. And a spe- one one of your guys is Jokic, and he has to take twenty shots a game, which is nowhere near what he's expected to do. I believe he only shot about twelve shots a game in the regular season, which is what he's accustomed to. It's not a recipe for success. The only guy who takes tw- who's, you know if you're gonna take twenty shots a game and have him, you know, be that guy is gonna be Embiid or Anthony Davis. And there's one thing I want to point out about Denver. Not that I'm trying to, to shun their life because they've been a great regular season team over the last two years. But it's one thing that the Nuggets benefit from that I don't think a lot of people in the media or basketball fans really, really understand just how much of a factor it plays in the game with their home at the Pepsi Center. Oh, yeah. Unlike the bubble. Altitude. Absolutely. They have an advantage training year-round there that opponents do not when they come there. It's that simple. I agree with you. And I remember the Bulls had a – had I think they had a nine-year run where they lost every game in Denver. 
because they had the issue with the altitude. And when you go to some places like that, it becomes a factor. And they would talk about this even when you played a team like the Broncos. The Broncos were really good. It is hard to go there and win a game at any point in the season. Hell, when it's cold out. That I don't do you really want to play a Denver like a Broncos team in the cold in Mile High Stadium or wherever they play? I don't know what the name of the stadium is now, but you get my point. It's not fun playing in that, and it does alter your game. By the fourth quarter, you're gassed usually by the fourth quarter. And that plays into how teams fin close out games. And I think that we're seeing teams in the bubble, I think like a team like the Bucks, not having that home crowd is crippling them. They don't have, they can't feed off the energy from their fans. LeBron can't, the Lakers can't. Team like Houston, they don't need it. Russell Westbrook gives them all the energy they need to be able to feed off each other. Jimmy Butler's providing that energy that they need for Miami Heat to feed off each other. You've got to be able to create that. And we're seeing that. I'm seeing it from Miami. I'm seeing it from Houston. I'm seeing it from the Celtics. I'm seeing it at times from the Clippers. I'm And the Lakers can. LeBron can be that guy. But I don't see any of that from a team like Milwaukee or a team like Denver. They're, they're, it's not there. It's, it's a huge factor that they're missing. I think they know that, and they were trying to cover up for it. But I saw those teams in the bubble, and they did not look like themselves. And see, one thing about this bubble, it's like a pro-am style. Yes. Around the game. And you brought up Houston. I know James Harden. I know a lot of people around him personally. You know what James Harden love to do between the months of July, August, and September? He love to show up to the Drew League and pull up there and drop 40 plus. This is a perfect environment for guys like a James Harden. No no home court advantage. I'm playing in the summertime. I'm used to training year-round and, and hooping all day long. UCLA pickup games in the day, Drew League games in the evening. This is nothing guys of his caliber who just love to go out there and hoop. And this is really going to show us who loves basketball and who doesn't, in my personal opinion. And that's what this bubble is going to show us. And it's been showing us that on a lot of I definitely agree with you. Gabriel, thank you for coming out. It's always a pleasure. And once again, this is Hoopstradamus. You can find us on Spotify and iTunes. You can also catch Running with the Bulls, Adam Shalfield. Uh, his podcast, you can find that on the podcast app as well as iTunes as well. Thank you guys for tuning in and have a good Labor Day weekend, everybody.